Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, where we explore the deeper side of coworking, content, and community. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Hey friends, in this episode of Coworking Out Loud, I talk with my good friend Craig Bowdy from Creative Density and DenSwap. And Craig has some tough love, some real talk, some cautionary tales, especially for indie operators. This episode is a bit sobering, but there's also a lot of hope at the end. So have a listen. Let me know what you think. Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, Craig. I am absolutely stoked to talk with you. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kat. I'm excited to be here. Of course. And I want to kick it off. So as you know, Coworking Out Loud is an exploration into the deeper side of coworking content and community. And I want to really dig into the mostly coworking and some community piece with you. But I want to read, let's start like high level. I want to read something that you said. I want property owners and coworking entrepreneurs to start a coworking space, to build a community, make a, be- make a neighborhood better and make money. Yes. So let's start there. Like, say more about that. What are you seeing? What are you concerned about? What's your vision for coworking? So, I mean, I'm I'm one of the people. I started a coworking space 12 years ago as someone that saw the need for themselves. I was a remote worker back in 2010. Like a typical story of you know, I need friends and people, and I'm running into that loss. I want people all the time. Um. So many people see that need or they really enjoy the aspect of community building and they get so worked up in that. And for very good reasons, I love businesses to start at that. But then that 12th month mark hits, that 24 month mark hits and they realize, oh my God, I'm now married to this business and I'm not making money. Um, I made some mistakes. It's not working out as I planned. And it's causing stress in their life. It's taking time away from their family. It's causing stress in their marriage. They don't have time with their friends. And they're obligated to this community that's not making them money. And they're kind of just in this catch-22 situation when it doesn't need to be that way. Um, I started Spaces myself, and I've understood that. I've gone. I've opened up seven co-working locations, and... I know the objective is often to make money. It's really just kind of being honest with yourself of what's the objective of this space. Yes, I want to create a community. Yes, I want to make my neighborhood better. But I'm also doing this to create a job for myself or to build a business. And it's really knowing knowing that that full outcome that you need from your co-working space. Otherwise, you're going to be stressed. You could go bankrupt. You might need to take a second mortgage out on your house. And it becomes this curse. And I never want co-working to be a curse for someone that's trying to build community. So I really try to help people know the, the pluses and minuses, the risks, and guide them through that process to create a profitable business. Because I still operate seven spaces myself. Um, so I see the trends going on. I know too many people think of that there's a magic bullet out there that, oh, I'm struggling. Um, virtual office, virtual mail, conference rooms, do more events. Um, none of those are really silver bullets because they wanted to build community. Anyways, I'm rambling on, but co-working spaces do need to be profitable. 
um, in order for them to survive. That is just facts. I mean, as we were saying, both of us have been around long enough to have seen co-working when it was very much movement, yep. right? DIY, everybody yep. was bootstrapping and scrapping and helping each other and all the things. And now fast forward 10, you've been doing this 12 years. It's a whole different ecosystem. Yeah. There's a lot of money. There are big players. There are management agreements. There are all the things. And I, you're the perfect person to talk with about this because I feel like you get and see and are the passion-driven co-working person. Like you totally have a co-working soul. And you've been able to turn that into a sustainable business model. And I have a lot of passion-driven, we in the industry, in the in co-working, have a lot of passion-driven people who are like looking to scale, looking to learn those next things. And I just think we're at kind of this transition time where it's like you have to figure it out. A lot of spaces have that were amazing, that had amazing passion and community and vibe have fallen away. Yeah. And I'm concerned and I know you're concerned. So um, what are some of the things you want indies to be looking at to be thinking about boy um there's a lot of i don't know what's out there but it's well i do know what's out there but there's a lot of hopeful bs kind of out there um the whole <laughs> sense of like you can build a three thousand square foot space you can put 60 desks in it and what you're going to sell that you're going to put have 60 desks you're going to times that number by three and that's how many co-working memberships you're going to build. You're going to have two conference rooms. They're going to be rented out $175 a day, um, 10 days a month. There's going to be that. Um, and then you can also put the tables on wheels and turn it into an event space, and that will bring in another $5,000 a month. And suddenly you start looking, oh, my God, I can rent this space for a three th this 3,000-square-foot space. I can spend $7,000. I'm going to run the space myself. Total operating costs, uh, $10,000. I got, I'm, I have enough capacity for 180 co-working members. They're all going to be spending $200. Like suddenly you're like, I'm going to do this 3,000 square foot space and I'm going to make twenty dollars to $25,000 a month in revenue. It's not the way that it actually ever works out. <laughs> um, because guess what? D your co-working space is not based on the success of it, isn't going to be based on the space design of, oh, you there's 180 people just waiting for you to build 60 desks. There needs to be 180 people, potential customers in your area to even get to that number. Um, and so it really starts with building a space for your local community. And then is there enough supply in that area? Are they going to actually pay that much money when you do just, you're talking to friends and you say, oh, I've talked to 10 people. They said they'd absolutely join. And then, you know, you start asking for the credit card and only one or two of them join. So I want them to, I want there's to be a healthy, um, just a healthy knowledge and, and, and discipline into how to think about um, what a space's success is. You know, day passes are not going to be your answer. People talk about day passes, but you know what? Maybe they only sell. If they say 10 to 20 day passes a month, they're killing it in the mm -hmm. indie co-working world. Um, that's not going to be your savior. Conference rooms, that's not going to be savior. Because you know what? Once you start getting busy, your conference rooms are going to be booked by members that use it one hour a day. 
And that person's going to be that one hour a day prevents a whole day booking. So there's, there's healthy skepticism that needs to be done. And then there's, what's the time and effort events. God, you know, it, it might be something, if you're passionate about events, do an event, uh, focused co-working space, but that's a whole new business line item. It mm-hmm. just can't be a, I throw a page on our website and then people start renting it out. It really needs to come from this, what is my community that's going to pay? What are they, how many are are out there and what are they willing to pay for? So build it and they will come is a very risky scenario. Hmm. Um, I guess another one is you're not going to get it right the first time. So have some, you're going to need some money, even five to $20,000 to change your space after a year of it being open. Like you need to have that gunpowder ready to be able to adapt to the space after you learn really how are people using it um, and what are their needs. So like our competitive advantage in all of our locations, phone booths, oversupply of phone booths, right? And yep. monitors. Gosh, people do not do that because they're, and they end up being expensive or they've, they've waste, they've used all their money and then they've learned, oh, monitors, I need monitors. There are $125 a piece. You need 15 of them. Suddenly your community is asking, I'll join, but can you put $2,000 into monitors? To a commercial operator, a professional operator, like, great, sure, right, $2,000, but boy, after you've like looking at your bank account, you're like, I'm eighty thousand dollars in debt. Now I need to make two thousand dollars. Like, like spend two thousand dollars. Gosh, that's <laughs> that's just utterly painful. But it's necessary. And so people spend all their money, and then they don't have that gunpowder left over to adapt. And you really re- get to respond to the community that like at that 12, 12 month period. So, Craig, this is a very sobering conversation, right? But I feel like it's so important, and this is what I wanted to dig into with you because um, co-working is amazing, and we got to make sure, myself included, that it's not hopeful BS, that the substance is there. So I know in your work with DenSwap, you do a lot of data analysis, things like that. For people who have not yet done that. Tell us a little bit about what you do. And also for operators who right now are freaking out, they're like, oh my God, we didn't do enough analysis before. And I'm that $80,000 in debt and can't afford monitors. And I don't know how we were counting on conference rooms. Like let's have a little solutions mindset. Like number one, what are you doing with DenSwap? Number two, what can people do to remedy, start remedying the situation? Yeah. So the DenSwap focus on feasibility study is because I was a market researcher, um, pre, pre co-working, right. And, and, and absolutely loved it. Honestly, like data geeking is, is a passion of mine. Commercial real estate people learned that I was this data geek, um, and new co-working and really helped us do feasibility. We learned how to approach site analysis because we developed methodology as we evaluated, um, all of our locations, because, you know, to find one location, you have to really evaluate like 10 to 15 um, locations. Mm-hmm. 
And that takes not CRE stats. What is office vacancy? What's lease rates, trends? What's the absorption rate? What site analysis is much more like how Starbucks and Home Depot does site analysis. It, they, Starbucks really knows their customers. They know commute times are incredibly important. How many people have kids and this becomes part of their routine? Are people going to be walking? They take this really holistic perspective of their customer on how do they spend money? Do they spend money on gardening? Is it technology? Is it, is it stuff like coffee? How much time are they in the car? Um, what's the ebb and flow? Is it like based around uh, a church that maybe drives a whole bunch of people in throughout the week? They, they take a lot of this holistic perspective into, into planning out their future location. That's why you don't see a Starbucks close very often. It's because they're very intentional on where they're going. And so we do that for the co-working industry. We kind of evaluate a site, a site based on this holistic customer analysis. Anyways, solutions. Let's say you like, solutions. Yeah, let's get into let's solutions. Say, you know what? We didn't do that. We kind of built the wrong customer and the most frequent mistake. There's two kind of frequent mistakes that people do is they overbuild out and they do this modern executive suite, which think like a Regis or really an office evolution. Those are what we classify as a, as a modern executive suite. Um, so office heavy, small offices. And they do that and they're in a younger kind of neighborhood that's much more walkable. And people often, if they build out a modern executive suite, what they're looking for is kind of what we call a, a modern flex or a high flex. And it's still office heavy, but they want 30% to be open and shared space. That's, that's one common area. And you can fix that by creating this energy um, in the space, you might, if you just tear down five offices, that's often not your, the, that's not often the indie operator problem. The indie operator problem is the different problem of they put too much shared desk space in it. They, um, didn't do a large enough space. That's often a problem, uh, because you need to create this sense of grandeur. So people are leaving their home and they want this sense of like, arriving in a space. So like mm. a 2000 square foot space is incredibly difficult. You need to monetize all 2000 <laughs> of that square feet, which means you kind of dim down that sense of like walking into something. Like what if you walked right into a hotel and it was immediately like the front desk was right there and they were like, <laughs> okay, right there's your hallway. Go back. Mm. Um, instead, hotels always have this, this lobby and they try to create a sense of of, of like, oh, this is cool. But once you pass like through that lobby, honestly, it's like all hotel rooms are pretty much the same after that. But you get this feeling, right? Um, so true. That's something important for, for co-working. And you need to be a, like three, at least 5,000 square feet to be able to like have that sense of grandeur. And you can monetize that by shared space. But to charge a premium for that office, um, you really want to create that sense of, of activity or bigness. Um, and the good thing is, is that often doesn't need to be done with people that can be done with sounds and art and space design. Okay. Um, ways, most common ways to solve. Oh, I've made this a, a mi mistake, right? I, yeah. 
Because um, like, we do oh, these, that's me. Yeah, we do these things called space audits, and we go through an analytical eye and we review a space's like mar- website market positioning. Um, what are they spending money on? Like how much are they spending on technology? How much are they spending on marketing? Um, and really kind of go through this customer experience journey and then pair that up with our experience as operators and say, okay, this is how much we spend on everything. And this is what the industry averages. And this is what you're spending money on. Um, the most common mistake, the most easy switch that operators can use is converting. They have too many con- conference rooms. They have too many meeting rooms. Easy, easy switch is that's often just switching out tables because they hold out that one time that they like rented that meeting room for $500 and they did it like three days in a row. And they're always just like, oh, if I could just find like mm. eight groups that do that. <laughs> Every single like quarter, then this meeting room would generate five, six thousand dollars a month, right? And that's what they hope to do. Yeah. But in reality, you look at their annual pro forma and it averages six hundred dollars a month. But there's always this potential of five thousand dollars. Right. Switch that conference room out and turn it into an office. And you very well could rent it out for $2,000 a month. And then that's a consistent $2,000. So instead of like holding out that hope for that, like building up those eight groups, it's much easier to convert it into an office. And that's like a $1,000, $1,500 fix that someone can do. So that's, that's often like some easy advice for the group. Craig, one of the things you talked about is having operators be very clear about what their financial goals are for the space. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So look at your five-year, so operators should look at their five, 10-year outcome of like, is this something that needs to pull in twenty to $50,000 a year for me? Or is this maybe something I could set up as a career that I want to be, you know, 50, 75, $150,000 a year. Is this a career thing or is this a side business type thing or a small, you know, a, a smaller business? Those need to be real discussions that you need to have with yourself. And too many times an indie operator will go, um, you know, this location will provide me with that 30 to $50,000, but I'm going to open up two or three more locations Mm. out of it. And then I'm going to be all set. And in that, what, what often happens and it very well could play out with that, that like that, that roadmap isn't like an impossible journey to, to see. It's something very much like my journey, but often what happens is life and they open up this one location and they take out some debt and it doesn't quite play out as planned and then you throw, start putting spaghetti against the wall and trying everything and you get burnt out and you have this lease obligation and you're making $30,000 a year and you can't get to that next location. Well, at that point, people just kind of need to ask themselves, like, I need to make more money. Can I turn this into my side business and do I need to just get a job? Because you can be your community manager and have another job inside your space. 
But there is that point of realization that does need to happen. And it's the operators that are like, I just can't, like, they, they, it, it becomes too difficult. And you have to, like, you sit there and you're like, I'm going to, I'm only making $2,000 a month off this co working space. And it's taking all of my energy. But trust me, like, if you pull back and say, you know what? It is a $2,000 a month operation. Let's just keep it at that. And your stress level just, disappears when you kind of say, I built it. It's going to go this far. I accept that your stress level will drop 90%. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing when you just kind of say, okay, this is what my community is. I love it. It provides me a nice side business. It's not going to support my entire life. I accept that, but I get to be part of this amazing community. And when you like, just, if you hit that point and saying, I built the business that I want to, the community I want to be built in, it provides me a nice, a nice fund for life, but I need to do something else. That's okay. It's crazy to think of running a co-working space as a side gig with oh, that high EQ, mo- high touch, high human, all that. Most I would say a lot of indie operators run the spaces as a side business. They just, it's not, you know, it's something that you need to publicly say, but a lot of people do. I've been working with um, an acquaintance in Chicago. He's looking to expand. Um, It's it, it, he has a full-time job, Um, but he's at the space. So he pays someone to work the space 10, 15 hours a week. Yeah. And it's just, it is what it is. Um, He's not building an empire or anything. A lot of our friends over the last 10 years started their co-working spaces. 10 years ago, it was a side business for everybody. Mm. It was not the, the, the we work dreams of everybody. It was, I'm opening a 3,000 square foot space because it's my need. I want to be a part of people. I know that it's not going to be something big. So, yep. And I have to ask, how would you advise operators who feel like they're in the tipping point? Like they've been passion driven and now they're at the, at the place where it looks good, but they're burned out. They're out of steam. They really need to shift into that next gear. Like who would you, how would you advise people who are right at that point? Well, shift into next gear probably means what you're intending of like they're burnt out, but they need to grow. And there's maybe some yeah. opportunity to grow yeah. there. Um, focus in on your processes. A lot of people try to do too much with like processes are always an, an, a small businesses like weakness compared to large corporations. Yeah. Um, focus in on your processes. You can dial back probably the events a little bit. Like if you're burnt out, dial things back. Your community is, 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 has momentum at that point. Or if it honestly doesn't have momentum and the business is doing fine, maybe that's the community. It's just not the community that you ideally thought of or wanted to build, but you are serving a community of people that just are quieter. And sometimes, you know, you built a good business, you brought people together 
it's not necessarily the the people that you like the activity that you maybe thought of that's okay you still built a community and a business um people that are burnt out there's an emotional there's a healthy emotional distance that can happen and by taking a step back you know going on a two week vacation and realizing that the world didn't fall apart with you gone or your identity isn't wrapped up in that co-working space and activity happening every day there. Um, that's also very, very healthy. Another uh, people that are burnt out often are focusing in on events that serve like six people. <laughs> and keep trying to do events because their friends are those six people, but they have 50 co-working members and they keep wanting and they love spending time with those six people. And I get it, but that's not your entire community and you're wearing yourself out trying to entertain your group of friends the entire time. Wow. Um, I feel like this is a sad episode. So let's talk about some of the upside. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the upside of co-working, like massive growth projections. There's a space for indies for sure. Like yeah, the there is. indie spaces are so good. They're so cool. They're so, uh, in my world, I would far rather work in an, a space that reflects the neighborhood, the town, the people, the buzz. Like it's just a whole different thing than like going in and walking you know, working in silence for four hours and maybe saying hello to someone at the coffee machine. Like it's just a whole different thing. So let's talk about the upside. What are some of the trends and things that you're seeing that are, should really give indie operators a lot of, a lot of hope and encouragement? Boy, the, the, it's, it, the potential for co-working, and you can see this is just blowing up because it's been dispersed. What's, what's really changed is it's not the 40,000 square foot spaces that are the successes anymore. It's, it, it is shrinking down. Mm. Those, um, the 3,000 square foot spaces have a higher chance of success than ever right now. Um, in moderation, I don't like, I don't want to, like, it is a good side hustle business is the 3,000 square foot spaces. Um, commercial real estate rates, if you do sign a lease, are still like stupid high because they're like finance based on that stupid high rate. So like, caveat emptor there um but the like neighborhood the urban neighborhood spaces i'm a huge fan we're seeing a lot of success in that eight to 15 to twenty thousand square foot spaces so those are those are great and that creates some emotional distance as well for the operator because you're not going to be friends with all of the people in eight thousand square feet so it just automatically kind of creates this this healthy distance but that eight to 15 twenty thousand square foot space those could probably be in 80% of towns over 20,000 people. Um, those, those could be successful. Are those going to be like home run, like let's pour money into this situation? No, but those could be, those, those could be very good small businesses. Um, and I see, and I see a lot of promise. Um, I can zoom around all across America in our den swap analysis and i can just find these like zip codes where there's like so there's it's this glowing beam on our dense swap map and saying there's mm. like 100 and 
50,000 square feet that we project could be supported there. And there's not a single space like within um, 10 miles of it. And there's so much potential. Like co-working will exist just like coffee shops. And I hate that 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 analogy is overplayed, but it's so true. Um, It's so true. How many fabulously rich coffee shop owners do you see in the world? (laughs) You, You don't. They're small businesses and that's okay. Mm. You know, that's okay. Um, So that's that they just expectations, expectations need to be kept in check um, and expenses need to be kept in check. And that our, our, from our consulting point of view, uh, the biggest benefit we often tell people is we help you avoid the stupid, mis- the stupid, expensive mistakes. Um, and that is where talking to people that have the same goals that you do, that you're talking to those same people. Don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage people from talking to new co-working space owners. Um, but you want someone that's been open for three, five, eight years and talk to them. Because when you listen to people at like at the con- at the co-working conferences, I want to have this huge number above their head that says, am I making money or not? Because too many times I've been at the conferences where they'll bring someone up on stage and says like, you have 20 meeting rooms of all these different sizes and tell me, tell me how successful you're doing. Um, and they never mention finances compared to expenses and startup costs. We really never know. Those people will tell you about that one time. They rented that day out three days for mm. $500, but they'll never tell you, but that room cost me $3,000 a month to kind of operate. So there just needs to talk to someone that has the same like community and financial goals as you do, that's been doing it for three plus years. You'll learn a lot from that person because they've made those adjustments along the way and they know the mistakes that they've made. Craig, so 12 years, seven spaces, tons of co-working love. What would you, how would you advise your new co-working operator self? Like if you could go back, what would you do differently? Uh, how, what would I do differently? I would have gone... I would have automated the space even more. That's an incredibly high amenity. I would have put more money into te- technology. Um, that's a. I would have stuck to the urban neighborhood spaces. I would have gone a little bit bigger. My hindsight, I started my spaces when I was 24 with $20,000. And I lived inside of one of the offices for the first year. And I slept in the conference room on the weekend the second year because I Airbnb'd my new apartment out. Um, so that's what how co- that's what co-working was. That's what co-working then. was. That's what co-working was. That's what I feel like is so important for people to understand. Like co-working does not have its roots in office rental real estate. That's been around for a really long time. Co-working was something different. And if we do it 
but I was willing to sacrifice. Like that was, I think that's what like people tell, like they hear my story of like, Oh, seven locations started a space with 20,000 square feet. They don't know that I lived in the, like I I was basically Mm. homeless for a year. And then the second year I was one of the first um, 50 Airbnb hosts in Denver because I like rented an apartment for $650. And then I like slept at my space on the weekends. Like they don't hear those stories. And when you're, you know, I'm 37 now. And it's like, I have a kid and a wife and you're just like, my family is not going to move into an empty office. You know, my, like, and so we were (laughs) like, I have some news, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's just, so like, that's a very sober type of experience. Um, but if I was, I would go into an like a dense single family pre 1960s home. So really 1500 square foot homes. Um, they don't have the spare space yet. They're families that enjoy walkability and being part of the community. So that's like exactly where I would go is these like pre 1960s homes, um, smaller lots mean higher walkability, um, often older buildings, which means Mm. cheaper rent. And if you go to the second story, that's, that's where you want to be because you don't need to be on retail um, level. Go up there. Really, fo- if you're going to go on hot desking because that's like your community, okay, build enough offices to cover your rent. That's always a golden rule of thumb. Have yeah. enough offices to cover your rent. That will ease your burden, your like financial stress burden, and then use the rest of the space to build up the community that you're looking to do. So that's like my general rule of thumb is always build mm-hmm. out enough offices to cover your nugget, to cover your, your base, your, your rent. Yep. Um, then I could have a, still another like 20 desks probably for hot desking. Um, and that will serve my neighborhood that will bring in, you know, if I had 40 hot desking members, that's going to be plenty of space for them. And you do that with monitors and phone booths and then just potluck styles, like our best events is because I was cheap. And that's because it's mm-hmm. easy to remember people want to contribute. And so the more that you get people to contribute, it's also cheaper on you and less stressful because you don't need to do all of the shopping. You don't need to run around to all the places and you don't need to fret about if this event's going to cost you $300 or $150. It's going to cost you $30. We did one event popular event. We still do it. It's called We Top a Salad. We Top a Salad. I provide the basics. I provide ranch and lettuce. <laughs> and everyone brings in toppings. And like, yep. Like, Genius. We, it, it, people want, because they have a conversation starter at that point. It's not, oh, what did you do? Or which office are you in? It's like, oh, what did you bring? And then someone's like, oh, dude, I had a crazy day. I thought I was going to bring, I was going to stop by the shop, bring in an avocado, but instead I brought in pepper because, you know, I didn't have time to go to the store. Boom. There's that community Mm, interaction. People contribute. That means you open up a new avenue of conversation to have with people. And the quality of the salad hinges on the contributions of the community, which the best co-working spaces have figured out how to have members contribute, whether lunch and learns or salad toppings or they whatever, show and tells or open mics or meditation or whatever. It's like once the members are pouring into the space, the whole thing takes off. Yeah, 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 yeah. And really a community manager really only needs to be there for 10 to 15 hours a week. I think like a, a, that that if you automate everything, 
and this is like how you have to run an indie space. You have to automate as much as possible. Take that off of the the hat of your co-working ma- manager because you expect your co-working manager to be, be as talented, like not talent, that's not the right word, as in love with co-working as you are, that they'll put on all these yeah. different hats. Like automate everything you can so that they just need to worry about like the day-to-day operations mm-hmm. and community. Like the more that you and, – and it's it's a $10,000 upfront investment generally like in technology to take all of those hats off. Um, and so that space can run with just 10 to 15 hour a week community manager. They're three to four hours a, a day. Honestly, that's enough. People don't need a whole bunch of constant interaction. Our general rule of thumb is we want three five minute conversations a day. If someone can have three five minute conversations a day, God, they went home like relaxed. Mm. Like that's a, that's our goal for members. And that's it. Like just hit that stress point. You hit that. You're not trying to entertain people for 45 minutes um, a day. I love that. Craig, what have we missed? What do you what do you want to add before we jump out of here? You know what? There's so there, there's so many different versions of co-working that people probably just need to realize and they need to pick that lane that they're in. Like there is the modern executive suite. If you're building a modern executive suite, because your customer, local customer demographics says modern executive suite know where to like, know that that's what you are and just focus on being that. If you're, um, a mod, if you're, if you're a hot desking, which there's fewer and fewer of these traditional coworking members that are just like mostly all hot desking, mm-hmm. know that that's what you are and like lean into it. And then also have the different financial expectations on yeah. all of that, but kind of know Know what you are a little bit and don't be afraid. Um, only do the evaluation and change maybe like once a year. <laughs> like don't constantly like keep thinking you're going <laughs> to. I'm, take, I'm taking that one to heart. Every day I'm like get all contemplative. Like, okay, <laughs> contemplative and strategic is a dangerous combination. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Invest like a website, a co-working website does not need to be fancy, but it needs to be good and mm. great photos. God, God, how many times do you like yeah. look at someone and you're like, God, you're using stock photos or you're using crappy photos. Yeah. Um, good photos and flow to your website. Like you want to convert someone that's shopping around for like an office or a hot desking, they're probably going to see about three co-working spaces, probably not more than that because it's all like yeah. location and price based. Mm-hmm. So you want it to make it as easy, as simple as possible for them. So invest in photos. It's not a huge investment, 500 to a thousand dollars. And you can use them forever. You can use them forever. Or at least a couple of years. Yeah. Ex- yeah. <laughs> I'm still using. I'm still the mo- I'm the model on my co-working spaces. <laughs> I see yeah. you on there. <laughs> hey, we do what we need to do. Um, Craig, where can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to learn more about DenSwap, Creative Density? You? Yeah, so well, CreativeDensity.com and DenSwap.com. Um, DenSwap is really you can sign up for. We do a uh, an email newsletter about two to three times a week, you'll really learn about our thought process in doing site analysis to know if like, what should be at this location, like based on the customer demand, based on this, like complete, you you can learn 
how we think about it. So you can start thinking about, oh, this is my location. These are my customers. What are the top amenities that they're thinking about? Like, what is, like, is it a, are they more price sensitive? Are they amenities? What amenities are they looking at? Like walking, let's say you're not in a walkable location. How can I overcome that? But all like you learn about our thought process by signing up into that, into that newsletter. Um, and if you're a property owner, then you can kind of like learn about how we do our site analysis. So you can start looking at your own portfolio and being like, oh, God dang, I got this like building over here that I never even thought about. And uh, it seems like it's good. Well, we can tell you or too many people also like think they have a property that's going to be a co-working space. And often mm. hearing no, it's not is just as valuable as hearing a yes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, densedwalkingcreativedensity.com. You are an absolute treasure. I always learn a ton from you. I appreciate the real talk and the tough love. Um, I would, I let's keep the conversation going because this is really important stuff to make sure that the indie operators can continue to thrive as co-working evolves into this enormous thing it's becoming yeah and it's remember indie operator co-working spaces that's probably going to be the the fastest the eight to ten thousand eight to twenty thousand square foot spaces those are going to that's the fastest growing segment and the most likely to succeed and i've been looking for that data i'm going to email you after this and say tell say what you just said because i feel like my sense is that indies have such a bright future but we got to get it right that's that's a very that's why you're the copywriter they have a bright future but we got to get it right <laughs> words just fly yeah. everywhere and some of them some of them work out <laughs> craig thank you for being here i so appreciate you i'll talk to you soon. absolutely take care thanks for listening to co-working out loud i hope you enjoyed this episode and head over to katjohnson.co to register for the next co-working convo and learn more about the lab which is the marketing club for indie co-working spaces see you inside